Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We are spies. Hello everybody, welcome along to the second show that we're going to be doing over the summer, which is an extension of the Wise Men Say podcast. Um, I've literally flew through the doors at Spark FM here 10 minutes before the show, so apologies if the preparation isn't all it should be, but anybody listening to the podcast knows that won't be a problem because it isn't always the best organised. Um, I'd like to introduce my guest today, Kristen Henedge is along with us. Are you okay, Kristen? I am, I'm, I'm eagerly anticipating the World Cup. Yes, it's well, it's... it's we can all start looking forward to it a bit now because um, I think the hectic seasons, Sunderland and Newcastle had, you cover both of those obviously for ESPN. So the World Cup's kind of been at the back of your mind a lot, hasn't it? Approach because because the hectic seasons we've had. So it's it's nice to start getting excited about it now. It did, but a, a quick jaunt to the news agents and a fair few packets of football stickers, and I was all ready to go. I've Fo- been I've football been tempted. Well, I was tempted with the old uh, paninis, but. Or well, other stickers are available. Well, no, they actually are. They're probably <laughs> the premier sticker. You can get cards uh, yeah, now. It's our trading cards. Really? Wow. Well, uh, do you get chewing gum in them? You don't. No, no bubble gum or anything like that. Not Just interested. Um, but yeah, the, the, it is a bit of a sort of every time something comes around like the World Cup, you kind of get that urge. And then just realise that it's far more expensive than it when it, when you were a child, and then abandon the idea. So maybe you didn't. Obviously, you haven't. See, I've got kids, so I could have used that as an excuse this year. I was thinking <laughs> about doing it. Thinking, but you know, everybody knows I'm not interested in football, so that would have uh, that would have been exposed as a lie pretty quickly. Right, we've got lots of stuff coming up on today's show. We're going to keep it Sunderland specific firstly, but we are going to talk about England later on because England are playing obviously tonight. So the last half hour will be forty eight o'clock. You'd rather stick with us and listen to Adrian Charles, I'm sure of that. Goes without saying, Gareth, doesn't it? Or does it? Um, We're untested in the England in the England territory. Yeah, we are. We are. Who would you rather uh, listen to, Kristen? What's the What's the correct answer? Surely yourselves. Surely you would like to think so, wouldn't you? Yeah, you can hear my uh, claptrap on England. No lack of trumpet blowing here. Okay. We're going to talk about Sunderland first, though, and the most relevant thing, um, which we, we well, we aren't going to speculate about Jack Colback. We, uh, we're not going to do that. Um, we're going to keep things factual. So, Seb Larson is the most recent development, signed a new three-year contract. We were expecting it, Gareth. What's your thoughts initially? Yeah, pleased. Um, sort of, he was a bit of a unsung, I wouldn't say an unsung hero in the running, but he definitely got the plaudits and then... <coughs> I think he'd also had been decent at times during the season. He'd had a, um, you know, a good spells, maybe not doing spectacular things, but he always, you know, works hard. He drops in and, you know, keeps things ticking over. Um, I don't like. I know Colback. We're not talking about him, but I don't think he's any better or worse than Colback. Um, and I think, you know, he, he, he's he's easier to bring somebody to keep somebody like that in the squad than having to having to replace them. I think that's an interesting thing, Kristen, isn't it? It's this isn't like a new sign. This is just retaining a player's service. There's no transfer fee from. And also, one angle you could come from is that by making Larson sign a three-year contract, he is now an asset that could be sold if you need it to. Yeah, exactly. I think you've got to look at it both ways in that sense. He gives you a continuity of knowing the football club, knowing Poirier fairly well, having worked with him a bit now. But equally, if you want to turn around, because there was interest in him by all accounts, sizable interest in the Bundesliga. Um, mostly and I think Italy a little bit if you want to try and flip him around as an asset in January or maybe even next summer you've got that opportunity because you know he's there for, for a few seasons to come Which way do we look at this? Because there's the argument that 
you know, if we think about the way Larson has been since he's been at Sunderland, he came in, he started quickly out the blocks, and he scored a spectacular goal at Anfield on his debut. He was very good at set pieces. He scored in Martin O'Neill's first game of free kick, a winner against Blackburn, and he was a bit of a fan's favourite. Now, what we had is this massive gap in the middle where he was sort of, I don't want to be too harsh and say average personified, but I could certainly say that, I think. <laughs> and now I know some of that wasn't down to him. He got moved inside, which he didn't ask for. Um, mm. Three managers have asked him to play centre midfield. But he started, he ended the season, the, the, the final five games, playing really well, really consistent. So there is the argument that he's reassigning him based on those five games rather than what he has delivered generally for Sunderland. Well, a three-year contract for that scoop pass alone is, is <laughs> possibly worth Well, it. that was my goal of the season, to well, be honest. You've got, you got to keep him around then, surely. Yeah. But I think, he, he look, he's very flexible. He can, he can play at right-back, at least when I saw him at Birmingham and even at Arsenal. I always thought of him as someone who can play at right-back or right-midfield, even a, a right-wing-back if you want to try something a little bit different. Um, but I, I just think, in terms of him, you've sh- you have put him in the centre of midfield, which is a position he's not used to. I don't think he thrives at and he ultimately struggled for it. So it depends almost on your perception. I'm sure his agent was quite keen to stress that actually Sebastian isn't the central midfielder, mm-hmm. and perhaps it's harsh to judge him on that. But, in, but at the same time, you know, again, c- coming back to that, then if he's been offered moves elsewhere, mm. you, you would imagine that somebody has said to him, come play for us on the right-hand side midfield, and he's, he's decided to stick around still, even though he has gone public and, and complained mm-hmm. about playing in the middle before. Well, this is one of those things where I think American sports really comes to the fore in terms of you could probably analyse this deal with more depth if you knew how much he had been given by the football club. In in basketball and things like that, you, you know the salary, it's public knowledge, and you can say, OK, well, this is is a fair price for the player that we're getting because we don't know that and it won't be made public knowledge. I think you have to just assume the best and say he's a versatile player who can come in, do a job, knows the football club, and again clearly has something that's drawn other interest from from clubs so if you have to sell him there is that potential to do so if gauging um, things by the reaction on on Twitter Gareth which isn't always an accurate thing or the best thing to do (laughs) (laughs) um, it's safe to say that he still has a lot to prove to people doesn't he yeah, I think there's a. There Which a seems m- odd. He's been here three years, but yeah, pe- people want a guarantee that this form, you know, this isn't a spike in form. That this is going to be permanent. I guess it depends what you're expecting from him, though. I mean, as we, as we've said, he did have that start, and I think that's the main thing where people could point the finger and say, "How come you had that season? You know, where you scored basically eight goals in your first season, and then he's failed to deliver so consistently the la- the, over the last two. So, I think that's where people could point the finger. I, I just think. You know, he brings a lot of the, the to the game um, in the middle of the park. He does a lot of the dirty work. There's no, don't think it's any coincidence. And a lot of the big games, he he sort of plays um, and plays pretty well, um, including you know the cup final. Um, you know, a lot of well, Man City stuff like that. Those games. But I mean, he's, he's, he's he has always. I mean, you you've always sung his praises, and we haven't always agreed on. It. And you've you you've always commented on the the dirty work he does off the ball etc but you know something has significantly changed in his performance levels in those last five games can anybody put the finger on it do you think is it just finally something's clicked for him can anybody because his role in the side didn't particularly change or anything did maybe, it maybe he was uh, he had a bit of a bargain and thought well I need to play because well that's I'm it well that, that's, that's my point in saying does With he have Duke things to prove down. to people <laughs> <laughs> I, I, do you, do you, I don't know I'd, I'd like to think he he didn't. He didn't have that sort of mentality. I've always. He always struck us as quite a sort of hard work and professional lad. Um, you know, the thing is, his set pieces did improve um, towards the back end of the season. Um, maybe he did a bit of work on that because we did discuss the idea that he, you know, is he practicing these uh, these things? And they did improve. Um, I think that was interesting as well because that was such a key part of his game when he first came. You know, he, he was almost into that Beckham territory of when he was in that top form whenever mm-hmm. he got a free kick around the box he sort of fancied him t- to to hit the target at least so and we're not saying that in a while though, and we haven't have we? but th- there was a few and then Gar- Gardner was taking the free kicks and stuff like that so we kind of changed what we did in, in, in those situations and he kind of lost that free kick duty um, around the penalty area one thing to consider as well is the, the premier narrative for Sunderland last season was they signed 14 players what instability no wonder the, the bottom of the table I wouldn't be surprised if Poy is thinking a little bit, 
I need some continuity here. I need guys who who know it already. I don't want another summer of huge overhauls because Bardsley's already gone. There's a number who will be leaving and a number who'll come in. So the ones you can guarantee of staying are probably worth keeping around. We had a little bit of a giggle last week about the the S word stability, didn't we? Mm. Christian's got around that by saying continuity. I like it. Well, Very pragmatic. Instability's used instability yeah. as well, so he's, mm. he's gone flip side. And we we're going to try our best not to speculate about callback, aren't we? No, um, let's not talk about it. There's no no point worrying about it's been doing my head in the last few days on the <laughs> internet. To be honest, reading all this stuff, people want you know people decide someone's going to sign based on a rumor. And then go on about how great it would be if we signed them, and then it's just a rumor. They don't sign, and then people are sort of upset that this player hasn't signed. It's like, well, you know, there's, there's, we'll just wait until the end. Has Gareth been a killjoy, Kristen? I, I can <laughs> I can empathise. I'm I'm hugging him across the. I just don't think <laughs> the there's the any. I just, don't, I, I, I just don't think there's any point in any link that comes out, sort of speculating it and you know going on about it. I just think you've got to. You know, calm down, wait and see what happens because people got the fingers. A lot of us, when we had you on in the studio, mm. Kristen, one of those uh, in the pre-season podcast, and we were getting Kristen excited. Up, yeah. Kristen's fault, obviously. <laughs> we were getting excited about um, Burge and Dick and, yeah. and Cabral and all this. And look what Stocko happened as well. That was one that I, I, I held my hands up. I said I didn't think that was going to happen. I thought he was just using Sunland as a, a yeah. kind of club to draw interest out and then he turns up at the football club it's transfers are a funny thing they can flip back and forth at any if that's one thing i think i've learned it's that a deal that seems certain can fall uh you know head over heel oh i still remember the uh email that i got uh, the official email from sunderland football club saying that we'd agreed a deal for robbie Keane for seven million pounds and he was due for the medical were clubs doing official emails that was an email that was an didn't do you not did you not remember getting i got that an email saying we've signed robbie Keane, um, and then and then um venables got sacked i think and as a result the transfer didn't happen then i think he had international duty he went away and came back he had a new manager or it might have been whoever was before venables got sacked and venables came in i can't remember for sure but the change in manager meant that the deal didn't happen and Sunderland had sent an email out saying that he was due up, due, for, due to sign basically in the next couple of days. That was an official email that actually happened. Um, so jump, jump, the, the gun. jump the gun, jump and, the got, gun. and look what happened. They could go the other way when they um, said that were the fantastic signing that we're all going <laughs> to tune in for on the official website at um, five o'clock. Everyone's got to tune in on this day, and then they unveiled Phil Bab. I don't know if you remember that, <laughs> that which was a, a spectacular own goal I like yeah. the, the, the way the papers tried to sell Philip Bob saying he got defender of the year in Portugal and stuff I actually yeah. I didn't actually get paid got, either in Portugal I actually um, got to meet Peter Reid just before well just after Robbie Keane had turned us down and well it wasn't, well, it wasn't part of work or anything it was just because um, the club would give out misinformation I don't know who was in charge of the club at the time but <laughs> they weren't doing yeah, a great yeah. job with it, uh, in charge of the press <laughs> and stuff but they give out infor- misinformation regarding a, a tour that Sunderland were on and my brother and his friend were supposed to go and as a result they missed the game so they got us into Peter Reid's office as a, as a sort of um, a prize a, you know, a way to say sorry and stuff and anyway we, we were talking to Peter about that um, saying oh, have you got anybody lined up and this was just before they had signed Tori Andrea Flo and Marcus wow. Stewart and we said is anybody special on the radar and he was quite blunt about a Peter Reid about Robbie Kane, he just said, "Well, Robbie Kane didn't want to come, and I had a good Johnson didn't want to come, yeah. and that <laughs> was get it." Him on the plane, could and then I we said, "So when we said, is anybody special on the on the radar?" And he said, uh, "Well, this Matt Piper we've just signed will play for England for years." So wow. he put his neck on the line about that one as well. Yeah. To be fair, he was injured; he couldn't, you yeah. know. That was that's what he would argue, wasn't it? But um, we were supposed to speak to somebody from a Wigan blog regarding Jordi Gomez, but we had a few technical issues and as I've already said it was it was quite late before I arrived at the studio being busy today so we think it's only fair that we dump this responsibility on a Kristen Hanedge who does know <laughs> everything about everyone and again Kristen it's one of these signings where people have an opinion automatically without if they're going to be honest with themselves realistically knowing that much about him would you care to enlighten us some? Well uh, Uwe Rosa did want to keep him. He he said quite as re- play of the season. Yeah, he he made no bones. He said uh, he was hopeful of keeping him. Think thought he could convince him to stay. 
Um, but ultimately, it turns out he hasn't. The thing I think he'll give the most is he's quite handy at penalties to begin with, which is always nice to have in the squad. But creativity, I think that was a huge issue last season in terms of getting that from the midfield, getting chances for the strikers to actually put to bed. No one created more than him for Wigan. Uh, no one created more for Wigan last season rather than him and that's even though he only played I think it was about 33 of the 48 games that they played last season he had the highest ch- uh, chance creation rate and I think in that you've you've already got enough of an asset for a free transfer um, on top of the fact he's played in the Premier League I think he'll thrive in the, the passing technical style that, that Poirier wants to put in there in in that sense it's kind of a no-brainer because it, it sorts a lot of the issues that I think were prevalent last season in terms of bringing players that just weren't ready for England weren't used to it and having too many of them in the same squad was always going to cause um, trouble I think from minute one whereas you've, you've got a guy here that knows this league very well I think um, it's the, the impression I've, I've always got this impression of Gomez that he's not too dissimilar from Colbeck and that he's a consistency player keeps the ball moving because I know that a lot of Wigan fans I, w- I was talking to Dan from the Wigan blog and he said that Rossler sort of transformed his season really that mm. under Owen Coyle he was in and out the side now he was very critical of Owen Coyle for that Dan mm. um, but th- there must be something in that that if he wasn't a standout player for Coyle you, you wonder what's changed since Rossler's went in is it just a style of football as simple as that? Yeah, I think it really is. Um, Rosler was was very honest about saying that he learned a lot from Martinez um, in terms of the way to get Wigan playing best and, and the best tactical style to use with them. Um, I think it was the, the FA Cup, in fact. He said that when they beat City, he'd actually studied the, the Cup final from the previous season and taken a lot from it. And again, Rosler's ability to put Chris McCann in defence and, and you know take player like McCann who is a midfielder and shift him somewhere else shows that he's got quite good flexibility I'm not sure if Coyle is, is as progressive um, in his in his style and because of that players like Gomez are going to suffer the good thing is Poya is quite progressive and fits into that same part of the Venn diagram so to speak and I think because of that he, he should be okay Are we allowed to talk about whether you think this would be a good sign in Gareth or are you dismissing that the conversation do we, <laughs> no, have, to just, no. do we have to just wait and see No no um, <laughs> I think um you know, he, he looks like a technically decent player when I've seen him, um, and I think play, Poyet likes players who are, are technically sound. Um, after waiting, he's, he's scored a lot of goals, Kristen, and you said that well, he, he hasn't scored that many, has he? I think he's, he got got ten, he, he's got about he, he got double scored, figures for, well, mid, for a midfielder though. For last last year, but in the Premier League, I think I think he scored um, three goals one season. Yeah, they were all in but, one. But game. last season, he, he's in the double figures, and mm. I know you're saying set pieces play a big part in that. But is he a player who arrives in the box? Because one thing that frustrates Sunderland fans about Jack Colback is he's very tidy on the ball, mm-hmm. but you always feel like there's a player bursting to get out that he doesn't quite realise his potential. Now, we've seen mm-hmm. in our last home game against West Brom when he burst into the box and scored, and that's the kind of thing Sunderland, that's the thing a football fan wants to see, whether you support Sunderland, Newcastle, anybody. You want a midfielder, like Paul Scholes used to do, for example, to burst <laughs> into the box, don't you? Yeah, I'm not sure if Newcastle fans want to see Sunderland midfield bursting <laughs> in the box, but I, I take the point that you're, you're making. Yeah, I think he is that kind of player who'll who'll get on and around the, the D of the penalty area and inside. On and around. On and around. On, and around. on the line itself. That's a new. That's a new one. <laughs> on and around that that little line um, that I'm sure has a technical name that I don't know, <laughs> and and get into the box and give you something that as as much as I like Colback as a player, I do think he lacks that kind of dynamism in the final third I think he's he does kind of let himself live in a, in a box a little bit that I, that I don't think Gomez will, will do himself Good stuff OK now every week Gareth and I are setting up interviews with some of the journalists and bloggers who we spoke to throughout the course of the season on the Wise Men Say podcast uh, and they're going to basically just explain to us what their hopes and aspirations for the season are I guess and this week we're going to be we, we spoke earlier on I should say to Mark Holmes from Team Talk who as I'm sure most of you are well aware is a Stoke City fan. Okay Mark I'll start by just asking you about um the season just gone for Stoke P- pretty happy with it. Absolutely delighted with it. Um I would have been happy just for the the football alone you know has been a massive improvement on what we've seen before these past couple of seasons under Tony Pulis. So that alone was reason to be to be happy, but that we've got a record point total and a record um, finish in the Premier League. You know, I'm absolutely delighted as is every Stoke fan. How how do you think Mark Hughes has gone about things? And what's what, obviously because 
the changes were always going to have to be subtle, weren't they? So how have you found that? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. There's, there's been, you know, almost three or four different periods during the season. Um, to begin with, I personally struggled to see, um, you know, what kind of identity Mark Hughes is trying to create. I have to say that. But by the end of the season, I think once Peter Odin Wingard come in in January, I think he was a key signing because he just gives Stoke that bit of pace in the final third that he didn't have before. And then suddenly everything just seemed to click and there was that ability to stretch teams with Odin Wingy, but also they were keeping the ball a lot better, seemed to trust themselves on the ball a lot more. And it just kind of fell into place in that final third of the season. And, and some of the football that was being played then was kind of beyond your, your wildest dreams, really, compared to what we have seen in these past couple of years. What's been the key? I, I don't know. I think just patience from Mark Hughes. He didn't panic early in the season. He, he, you know, he, he tried to implement a philosophy. It didn't always look like it was going to work, you know, all the time. But whilst I was worrying, he clearly wasn't. He, he stuck with it. And once he's got the players in place and, and certain players have adapted to the system, he's been proven right that, that it works and the results have shown that. You mentioned the Peter Oren Wingy there, and that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I remember when, when you swapped him with, obviously, former Sunderland striker Kevin Jones, and a, a lot of people, you know, from the outside looking in, were saying, we're, we're not sure who's got the better deal here out of Stoke and Cardiff, but I think there was only one winner, wasn't there? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I don't think Stoke fans were too enthralled about it at the time because although Ken Wynn wasn't playing in the first team for Stoke, um, he was a you know genuine competition for, for Peter Crouch for the sort of target man role also he's a, a lot younger than, than Crouch and Odin Wingy you know so bringing in a 32 year old from Cardiff that hadn't done a great deal at all to impress him in Wales had people worried but Mark Hughes had tried to sign him first of all in the summer so he clearly saw him as a player that could fit into his style and he was absolutely right because as I mentioned before his pace more than anything else or anything that Hughes has done or any other performances, it's his pace that really transformed um, Stoke from a team that were keeping the ball without really getting in behind teams to a team that could keep the ball but also counter-attack. And that's what they did to very good effect in the final third of the season. And, and that was really down to Odin Wingy. We've, we've mentioned the fact that Stoke have, have changed and, and Mark Hughes has... Um try to move things away from, from Tory Pulis, which I, I guess, you know, you've spoke to us previously and you've said it, I think more Stoke fans think it was the right time for Pulis to move on. Just as, as, a, as a different thought, coming from a different angle, have you noticed how the job that Pulis has done at Crystal Palace seems to be romanticised somewhat when he was at Stoke and Stoke were getting all sorts of abuse about it, really? I can't deny that it um, irks me slightly because you're right, even in that first season in the Premier League, when you know the odds were massively against Stoke uh, to you know to even compete, never mind stay in the league, there didn't seem to be any sympathy shown towards Stoke or towards Pulis for the style of football that they played to get results. And in that first season, they did incredibly well, um, finished you know sort of 12 points clear of the bottom three in, in mid-table. But still, people preferred to focus on the style of football, which was very defensive. Quite direct, well, very direct at times, and you know, and fairly physical. At Palace, I don't think the style has been identical to the style of Stoke. I have to say that I think with the players that he's got there, the, the players that he's inherited, he had a little bit more pace in wide areas, um, which has helped him because he does like a counter-attacking style. But it's still been very, very defensive. Um, the possession stats have still been, you know, amongst the worst in the league, just as they always were under, under you know, under Pulis at Stoke in terms of the pass completion ratios and also the amount they've had the ball during the game. So it's not been wildly different to his to his system at Stoke and yet you're quite right. He's got all sorts of praise <laughs> from from the London media in particular, which perhaps tells you that if you're in that London area you you're gonna get a lot more favourable press than you do if you're up in the north east or mm. up in the north west like Stoke or. Seems like a remarkable turnaround, doesn't he? He's gone he's gone from sort of being the, the anti-football guy to sort of being everybody's best best friend and pragmatism being getting praised but what, what do you think about the signing of uh, Phil Bardsley? It's an interesting one because Stoke undoubtedly do need a right back because we've had Jeff Cameron playing there this season who by his own admission isn't a right back 
he likes to play at centre half. I personally think his best position in the Premier League is probably central midfield because he's got energy, he's good on the ball. Um, but at right back, he's a little bit suspect defensively, and I think what Bordley offers is a good man-to-man marking, um, which we've not really had since Andy Wilkinson was in the team. Um, going forward, whether he's as, as effective as Jeff Crown, I'm not too sure, but I think he can cross the ball. So it's an interesting one. I think a lot of people are sitting on the fence about this because we definitely did need a right back, um, but there are other areas of the team that we need to strengthen. So to get an experienced Premier League player on a free transfer that I assume is going to be an automatic first choice seems like decent business. But of course, it's only decent business if he plays well and stays in the team and, and turns out to be a success. So mm. we'll have to wait and see. But I'm very much on the fence at the moment. Mm. Speaking from experience, he, he, he tends to be all right when he's got a point to prove. And signing for a new team would be his point that he needs to prove. I would think. Just finally and quickly, what are your hopes and aspirations for next season? Um, I suppose, like every fan, you just want slightly better. So we got 50 points in ninth place this season just finished so anything in excess of that I'd be absolutely delighted about if we could get 51 points I'd consider it a a job well done Um, but other than that I hope to see us scoring more goals because that's a gradual process Um, competing more away from home because we still only won three away games last season and two of them were in the last month of the season and obviously like all football supporters um, apart from the hierarchy at Newcastle, I want to see the team doing well in the, in the cup competitions. So a couple of cup runs, top half again, 51 points, and I'll be uh, jumping through hoops. As we would be here, I think. Thanks for your time, Mark. No problem. Okay. Big thanks to Team Talks, Mark Holmes there. He's a, a regular contributor on the show, so anybody who listens to the podcast knows this. OK, now... Who's better, Messi or Ronaldo? Okay, this is a feature that Gareth and I have came up with. We're going to do every week. Who's better, Messi or Ronaldo? And it's just poking a bit fun at some of the less insightful questions that float about. We we all do. We all fall into a trap uh, of having a debate about something, which then becomes that widespread that it just becomes sort of yeah, cliche talk and stuff. Yeah, so. That's going to be the name of the feature, and we're going to start this week with the following. Do you think Belgium are dark horses for the World Cup? I'm not sure what accent that's <laughs> that is trying to be mastered there, but... Um, I'd look that together in yeah. about 20 minutes. <laughs> no, it's very, very impressive, I think. Okay, <laughs> and that's it. It's a good point. Um, Kristen, we'll come to you, because you're the, you're the guy with the knowledge, with the world football knowledge. <laughs> And it is a question that people ask, um, no matter how many times mm. you hear it. It's, it's an easy question to make. Belgium, are they dark horses for the World Cup? Well, there's a surprise that they're in the World Cup and they've got so much talent, isn't there? That seems to be the, the thing. But the, the question is, is how they manage that squad. I think certainly they, they could be um, dark horses. Mark Wilmots is the coach. He uh, was, I think he's leading all-time scorer for Belgium internationally. He was an absolute warrior of a player. Um, a really good man-manager, which I think is going to be key for them because their squad has a fair few divisive characters. Maybe it's being so close to the Netherlands. Um, it's just kind of rubbed off on them a little bit. I think, yeah, they could be dark horses, though. Didn't They went through a, a period in the 80s, didn't they, where they were always fancied for the mm. tournaments and never quite got it. Not a decent side when David Platt scored a winner against them in Italian 90, didn't they? It's interesting. They were unfortunate in USA 94 as well. Did they get to this... Did they get the quarter final? And I think they, they hit the post and all sorts. I think it was the second round of the quarter final. I can remember Sweden getting the semis or something in Sweden USA got the semis yeah. in USA '94. But I remember, I'm sure, I remember um, Belgium were a bit unfortunate to go out. They probably went out in the groups at bottom or something, and I'm talking a lot of rubbish. <laughs> but um, I'm pretty sure that they did okay. And then I don't think they've been at. Uh, World Cup since USC in I think they were yeah. in 02 I they think they were in, two, in, were in Korea in Japan um, but the the issue for them I think a little bit is the strikers they, they went into the season with two great ones Benteke and, and Lukaku Benteke is injured and they've they've really got a choice between using Kevin Morales up there or Origi of uh, Lille who is completely untested hasn't played a senior game um, assuming the Luxembourg one doesn't count now so it's it's not going to matter much anyway um, and that's the concern is that they left 
Batashui of Standard Liège off the the final list of 23, which is a surprise because he would seem the more ready replacement. Do you think? Um, I mean, in the, in the qualifying, I've seen. How did they do in the qualifying generally? Because I, I seem to remember sort of a lot of talk about how they they were, they looked a lot better than or sounded a lot better than the actuality. Do you think we've done some a lot cra- of we've done some crack and research? Do you think that a lot of? <laughs> do you think that will? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. But you don't need to do research when Christian's here. That's, that's why he's here. Um, he's our comfort blanket. Yeah. If you um, if you look at the, you know, it's just maybe because a lot of Belgium's players play hmm. in England, do you think that people in England assume that the Belgian national side is better than it actually is? Um, so to a degree, I see the the point you're making. I mean, equally, you know, Dries Mertens has been fantastic for Napoli this season. So the, there's players dotted around the rest of Europe who I think are showing that there's just as much quality. Um, in their qualifiers, to be honest, they didn't play the toughest of opponents. Croatia, which is awful. I mean, they're in this World yeah. Cup, but they were awful. They were saved by Niko Kovac in the last few games of the, the qualifiers and then the, the playoffs. Serbia, again, were... Uh, bit if it's Scotland kind of tell their own story without wishing to offend our neighbours <laughs> to the north too much um, and because of that it was kind of hard to gauge them and that's I think that the issue is people aren't too sure how to truly evaluate them I, I spoke to, to Simon Mignolet at the start of the season and he said to be honest we've never been in this position before as players so we're going with complete freedom we're not really scared or intimidated at all which I thought was quite a refreshing opinion to have it and I think because of that you might see a really um, exciting Belgium team just kind of explode on to the World Cup in that sense. Just finishing on Belgium and in major tournaments, I've just been sort of the mind's been ticking over here as you've been talking. I think I'm right in saying, did they host the Euro 2000? Euro, two, Euro 2000. Ho- and they were, the f- they were the first ever host country to go out in the group, in the group stages. stages. Yeah, Emil and Penza. Yes, uh, and he was seen to be yeah. the sort of next big thing, wasn't he? They have come a long way. Did he mean I did, I'm just thinking he, Man City? He did. He, he was did, linked to Newcastle quite heavily yeah, as well around that time. Isn't it interesting? Christian touched on the point there that because the near Hollander might have sort of the Dutch way of playing might have rubbed off on them but it's I mean obviously I'm a, I'm a qualified football coach it's just interesting that every two years though you get we should do things the Dutch way we should now then it, more recently it was we mm. should do things the German way because they sort of ripped things up after Euro 2000 and, and came back got a lot and, of players from other countries st- yeah well yeah there is that too um, but then uh, now we're, we're hearing this now Belgium are bringing through the great players let's all go to Belgium and see how they do things which is essentially just kids playing football on a, on a park and on a playground well the, the interesting thing with Belgium is actually a lot of their players went abroad and they've learned it at a number of different countries' academies, and they've actually said themselves, that's kind of what's benefited us, is that we've got so many different kind of schools of thought that come back to the, the homeland that it means we've got quite a diverse um, base to learn from. And equally, what I find really interesting with Belgium is they actually advertise their coaches. They have a huge PDF that you can download and you can read, and it gives you kind of, uh, you know, Mark Wilmot's, this is his his background, his history. And they do a lot to really push their coaches out into the, the wider world, I think to get them more experience and to, to get them to learn more again. If you dip, oh, what I was thinking, if you took Marwan Fellaini, see this is based on the old uh, fantasy football um, model gonna, of creating a world cup. Together? You're gonna mash no, no. Together. So you, so you basically, you hold a, a melon, a cantaloupe, preferably. Okay. Get a bucket of custard. Yes. Hold your arm and you get the melon in your hand. I'm demonstrating here. If there was a webcam, you could enjoy <laughs> this. Then you dip your hand with the cantaloupe into the bottle, the, the the bucket of custard, and bring it out. 
and it looks like the World Cup and you can hold it up. I was thinking... You've with, got some great hobbies. <laughs> but I, that was fantasy football. Yeah, that wasn't, Frank's, that wasn't, Frank's oh, going to... If you look at the three lines, so if you took, do that at the end. If you they? took Maron Fellaini and dipped him upside down in a massive vat of custard and then took him out again, you'd have like one massive World Cup and they could all hold that. And then that would be a victory in, in a sense. Yes. Was that a spontaneous suggestion or have you been no, thinking just about an it? Idea, just an idea, just a thought. Um, he might have been better use at Manchester United as a man covered <laughs> in custard held by his teammates this season. Mm, right, well, we're going to come on <laughs> and, <laughs> and speak about England in the next five or ten minutes. So hopefully you've got Adrian Childs on mute. Um, and if you do want to hear England-specific well, stuff... a pop Childs tonight, isn't he? Well, it's just because that's his broadcast, not really. Make I would, sure I would say the same it, thing about yeah. anybody who was covering the game. Make sure you honest. turn it back on for Tilsley and Townsend. Yeah, we'll be, we'll be next week. We'll be having the um, Tilsey and Townsend uh, drinking game. We so will be. That's what I look forward to. Yeah. Get your um, thinking hats on for suggestions for that. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. Following on from Belgium, though, Kristen, I just want to ask you. Well, I'm not putting you on the spot. So our listeners don't think we're being harsh. We did ask Kristen to prep for this a little bit <laughs> um, to just to mention some actual dark horses for the World Cup for us. Uh, there's always some, and I, well, mm. I mean, I guess it's how you define dark horses, isn't it? Because. Mm. Ghana done okay in the last World Cup, but was it the quarterfinals? Uh, quarterfinals or just the second round they end up getting to? But w- w- what, I mean is, uh, yeah, it, what I mean is, yeah, what I mean is a nation coming to the attention of of, of the rest of the world, mm. probably, probably somebody you weren't expecting. Well, Ghana have the youngest squad in the tournament. Twenty, I think it's twenty. Is, is Jan in the squad? I believe he is as well. Is he? Um, but I think if you're looking at dark horses, Bosnia is is an interesting one. Again, this is a country that didn't have a national team until about 1995, and they actually. For their first ever game as a as a recognised national team, they had to stop in Zagreb Airport and buy a kit because they didn't have one. Um, and you kind of fast forward over that into the the present day. They haven't. This is their first tournament yet. They've actually got the most experienced group in terms of caps per player of the entire tournament. And I think that is probably what's going to help them a little bit. I mean, Safford Susic, the the coach, has a a bit of a problem in terms of he's been honest enough to say, I've I've got about 10 to 12 players, realistically, that I can pick from and and know the best. And their attacking line is brilliant. They've got Veda Debisevic of uh, Stuttgart, Dzeko of of Man City, Pjanic of uh, Roma. And they give them such an attacking impetus and such brilliance in that final third. The problem is, on the other end of things, is that defensively, they haven't got a recognised defensive midfielder after Elvira Ramic retired the CSK Moscow defensive mid. Um, and it leaves their two centre-backs, who are quite slow, very exposed. They could call up a, a left-back, who I'm going to tip as kind of a decent player to watch. Say, I'd, cause, hmm. Try that again. <laughs> Kola Sinak. Um, Sunderland, as, Sunderland need a left-back. If, if he, he's a brilliant player. I mean, he said that top. Manchester United have been in touch with him recently. Um, and he was playing for, for Germany up until about last year but he could certainly f- solve that problem for them in defensive midfield but again it's it's that issue and I think it's a running theme really is defensively there's a lot of teams at this tournament that really aren't up to much um, and I think in that sense Bosnia are certainly one of them they're, they're saved a little bit by the fact that Azmir Begovic is in goal and he is a wonderful wonderful mm, goalkeeper certainly is are they in Argentina's group am I right in thinking that Bosnia uh, I don't believe so. Mm, didn't mean to put you on the spot there. Move on to the next. Have you got somebody else? Another, another well, the, the other one that, that springs to mind is um, Chile, who again have, have got the Netherlands, so that they've got a, a difficult. They, they look good against England, of course, didn't they? They did, and they were great in the last World Cup. They were really exciting under uh, Marcel Bielsa, who has, has since left, and the man who's replaced him, Jorge Sampoli, is is a similar kind of school of thought. Wants to attack. Not so sure if he's got that defence sorted again, but in the likes of Vidal, in, in Sanchez, in Vargas even, who again is another one I think you should watch, they've got a great midfield and forward line. Again, defence is the issue. They're playing Gary Medell of, of Cardiff at the back. <laughs> he's you know knee-high to a grasshopper, <laughs> poor guy. Um, and I think that's where they're going to be susceptible to things is, is in the corners, in, in set plays and, and, and in the air. can confirm that. Bosnia are in Argentina's group. I'd say I, I do know bits. I do know bits and bobs. Also with uh, Iran. Iran? Iran? It's the American pronunciation of <laughs> no. Iran. Say Iran. Yeah. I say Iran. Yeah. And Nigeria. How Nigeria look? Do you know anything about them? They look terrible when I watched them against Scotland the other night. They were yeah. really, really bad. Because Nigeria were, of course, of the late 90s and early, early noughties, 
the Belgian weren't they? Everybody was saying, you know, yeah. they, they, are, they would be the first African team to win the World well, Cup. You, you and sort stuff. of had Cameroon, then it, it was Nigeria, then it was back to Cameroon, and then Ghana took over the mantle, sort mm. of thing. Um, they've they've just been rocked by instability off the pitch. Um, Keshi hasn't hadn't been paid for a, a long time. Again, they did win the African Cup of Nations, which was a huge um, bonus to them. But I would be very surprised if they got out of that group. In truth. Anybody else to finish on? I, I think you have to look at Japan as well. I mean, J- Japan, they're an interesting nation in terms of they didn't set up their professional league until 1992, the J-League as, as we know it now. And that was also the same year they, they had their first ever foreign coach. Now, six of the nine after that permanent coaches have been foreign. And you can really see the development. In the same way the US have since they managed to get Major League Soccer yeah. started, this kind of development of a domestic league benefits the national team. And I think now they've really evolved from a side that we looked at and said, OK, they work hard, you know, they're very industrious, but there's not much there, to now with the likes of Kagawa, Kazuki Honda, even the, some of the domestic guys, Yoshito Endo, who's probably going to be in his last World Cup now at 34, as players who are technically gifted and will, will cause trouble. I mean, they, they beat Belgium 3-2 and passed them pretty much off the park for most of the game. Who's your tip for the whole thing? Brazil or Argentina? Brazil, yeah, but yeah. home advantage is huge, well, isn't it? No European team's ever won a World Cup mm. in, in South America. Netherlands did but, come but, close, though. But, do, do, you know, do we say, well, modern science is different now and teams prepare for that better? Possibly. I think, as we'll come to talk about with Ecuador, the, the climate is something you have to consider as well. It's very draining. It's, it takes a lot out of you. And, and as much as you, know, you can prepare players for that and take them to places like Miami with England... <laughs> If you if you're born there, if it's in you know if you've been raised there, I think it is a shade easier to, to mm, play. Of course, yeah. When I was well, what, actually staying on that, I was did you watch Roy Hodgson's press conference yesterday, and they asked him about the the players adapting to the humidity and the heat and stuff, and he he said, well, to prepare for the heat we're going to see in Brazil, there's no better place to come than Miami, which I just thought was funny because surely Brazil would be a better place mm. to go to prepare for the Brazil heat. It was chucking down with rain in Miami <laughs> as well. Yeah, they had problems there, didn't they? With ridiculous storms or something but like I think that's why like you're saying that that stat is a reason why when you're looking at dark horses that they just the teams from South America are going to have that slight edge Mm. um, over the the weaker European sides or I mean African sides might be slightly different but when you're talking about um, even if you talk about teams from that region having the having the advantage I don't know if you read the Gus Poyer quotes about the um, how tough it is to mm. qualify, mm. Um, and he, it was it was he just reeled off basically you've got to go here and there's you can't breathe because you're playing like at high altitude but you've got to win you go here and the pitch is bad but you've got to win you've got mm-hmm. to win all the games to qualify and it's tough um, and I think um, you know obviously everything's going to be staged in one country mm. but. If you do, I guess if you don't, if you're a South American side that isn't Brazil, then there'll be factors there that that may get tough. Has a boy from Barnes ever played at 9,400 foot above sea level? You know, it's it's that idea of it's mm. going to be a difficult mm. climate to try and adjust to very quickly. Speaking, of moving on to England now. I'm gonna gonna get the team up there for me, Gareth. I'm, I'm sure that um, the listeners will have come across that anywhere. But if we we, we speak about the Peru game first, Christian. He's, he's went for an experimental site and I will, we'll, we'll get that on in just a minute um, does that mean do, are we thinking the Peru team is, is close to the one he might start with I would imagine so I think I think he knows very much what he wants now um, and to me I think it makes sense to play with that 4-2-3-1 um, I, I don't think it's wise for England to go with two up front not just because it's the, the theme of football at the minute and it is you know what's popular I just think that They've got a lot of gifted midfielders more than they've got gifted strikers, and I don't see a strike partnership in that squad. And I think you have to consider that when you're you're going to name two up front. I wouldn't go for two up front. Um, I'm a bit. I, I thought what was interesting was you know when, when they asked Hodgson about the the four two three one formation, and he was he, he sort of <laughs> he objected to it, didn't he? And said you know it isn't a four two three one. It's a, I played four across the middle. It was a four four two or four four one one. And I think you know. It, Often formations are in the eye of the beholder anyway. Mm. Um, and I think that's just Hodgson's sort of old-fashionedness coming out um, when, when, he was, when he was saying that. But I want to speak about Jordan Henderson specifically in, in that side because people know that I'm, I'm Jordan's biggest fan. 
Um, however, and I said to Gareth at the time, I'm not sure Gareth agrees with me. Looking at a four-two-three-one because of how deep your midfield pair players sit, mm-hmm. I don't think Jordan. That I think he, he does okay there when he played. If he played in a pair for Sunderland, he was good and moved the ball very quickly. I think there's better players than Jordan to play that. I, I, yeah, I'm inclined to agree. I think he's best as a box-to-box midfielder. His his athleticism, his ability to cover the ground and do it quickly as well as having a, a decent pass on him is probably where he thrives and where he's thriving best for Liverpool so putting him further back I'm just not sure if he's good enough in tight spaces mm-hmm. and equally as good enough with his, his passing range to, to be able to pick tiny holes like that I mean where I would I would look at Jordan and I would say okay in a three man midfield he can be the legs in a three man midfield or in a formation system like the four-two-three-one, to be one of those offensive players mm. behind the striker, which he's done that for Liverpool this season. He's played mm-hmm. on the on the left of those three yeah. behind the forward, hasn't he? So is that the f- link between defence and attack? It's just seeing Jordan Henderson sort of roam around the centre circle just doesn't do it for me. No, <laughs> um, I think look look back to four years ago as well in in South Africa when Gareth Barry was kind of blitzed by Ozil. I th- think for the third goal um, does Jordan Henderson maybe catch him possibly mm. I think that's something you could consider as well as is, is having him in that role it means that yes he can't run forward but he can certainly run backward very quickly um, which might sound a tad defeatist but you have to think about that as well because a lot of these teams are going to be looking to initiate that that rapid counter-attack I guess to play devil's advocate um, what I would say about Henderson if he does play in the deep role what you're always going to get from him he's always moving the ball He's always moving it. It's one touching on, one touching on. If you've got movement around mm. him, I think it, that would be fine. But when I watch England at the moment, it's they don't move. They're ponderous, um, slow. Um, they all sort of run away from the ball when the deep midfielder gets it. I just feel as though he could play in a deep line role, push slightly further up in a four-two-three-one. So he's playing the highest up of the of the two screeners mm. and I wouldn't say dictating the play but keeping the ball moving mm-hmm. you, but your midfielders have to have to be willing to, to receive and I, d- I don't see that with England I feel as though there's too many players I mean I'm looking at the side there I mean Rooney's playing wide left um, Ch- Chamberlain I'll say Chamberlain I mean you know he's, he's just going to do one thing really Barkley you know every, there's high expectations of him I mean Wilshire. It, it, according to this, is playing in a, in a deeper position mm-hmm. with Lampard. Well, we, we, I mean, Lampard, I guess, would be. Uh, I guess, I'd say in this system, in this system, Lampard, if it Wilshire would take the place of Henderson. Mm-hmm. Well, for the for the benefit of anybody who has, hasn't got a screen or, or doesn't know the okay, side, sorry, you like, would you like to go through the side? Yes, you were fostering goal. Um, Milner at right back, which is a, a talking point. I guess Smalling. That's a to- always a talking point. Um, Jones, Shaw, left back. Um, Lampard and Wilshere's the two in front, and then in behind Lambert up front in his own. You've got Chamberlain on the right, Rooney on the left, and Barkley um, playing as a more advanced player in the. Uh, I don't know what role, what do you want to call it? the Gerrard role, maybe from Euro two um, Euro two thousand ten World Cup two thousand and ten when he played Heskey up front and, and Gerrard in behind. <coughs> It's interesting one again, isn't it? Because Ross Barkley is, is sort of renowned for his being able to get box to box and being a dynamic midfield, almost like when Gerard first started mm. out. But as Gareth said, he's took a different Gerard role. He's had that many different roles, Gerard, but playing behind Rooney. But it's going to be interesting because, like we've just said, with a Henderson role there, it's going to be interesting Lampard and Wilshire because I I think there's a place up for grabs alongside Stephen Gerard there. I really do. As much mm. as I, as much as I like Jordan, if he's if he's in, going to be insistent on playing him there. I think it's a big night for Jack Wilshire personally. Yeah, there's not a huge amount of mobility in that central pairing. Um, and equally, Wilshire's had a lot of ankle problems, a lot of injury problems, period. And you're, you're taking a risk with him, I think, every single time. Um, and because of that, you're, you're completely right in saying that there's a position up for grabs there. It's, it's just how you implement Barkley as well. I mean, Martinez said this season, he reminds him slightly of Gascoigne, slightly of Balak and, and that kind of thing. It's just getting him on the ball in the right positions, I think, is, is key for England. I think Wilshire's the, you know, an interesting one. I mean, I'm not a massive fan of Jack Wilshire. Um, I don't think he. I think he gets a lot of slack. I think people think he's better than he is. Um, I think it's an interesting narrative around him, and 
it's interesting when schools made those comments yeah. about him. A lot of people got very defensive about the fact that he'd had a pop at Jack Wilshire. Did I? I thought everyone, seemed, lo- everyone uh, seemed to love it. I thought. It, I don't know. I think there was a little bit. Maybe we need more poor schools on us. But on um, maybe yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just find that he just runs down runs down blind alleys. Uh, in my opinion, um, I know people say he carries the ball well, but he's got to go somewhere with it. And I just find he gets his head down and he's he's away. And I also think. His attitude isn't that great. I think he rolls mm. around a lot on the floor. Um, you know, he's always sort of moaning on and sort of as, as soon as he gets tackled by someone, he's like rolling around, think acting as always been, you know, injured or whatever. And I don't know. I just that'll probably well, that'll probably um, be a good thing in this World Cup. We're going to see a lot of that. I'm not saying he's <laughs> not going to be a good player in the future. I, j- I just I don't think he's as good as people want him to be. And I think that's mm. a, a big problem in England, and that's going to come. I think that's going to come to Barkley. Hmm. People are going to, if he has a good, ge- say he has a good game tonight, people are going to be screaming for him to be in next week. And mm-hmm. Ro- if Rooney doesn't play well tonight, people will be wanting, wanting him, wanting him out. Um, and I think going into the World Cup, you got a situation there where you could get that first game. Remember in France '98 when um, Hoddle didn't pick Beckham. Mm. Um, he obviously didn't start like Owen, Owen, yeah, mm-hmm. and Owen, and then obviously Owen scored. He came, on a, he came on a sub and scored against, against Romania. Romania yeah. yeah, and then obviously Beckham, we needed to win that game. He brought him in against Colombia, scored that free kick. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's it. He said it was always his, his intentions, if I remember rightly, to bring them in. Bring him in. But you've, you've yeah, got. Likely you've got, story, isn't you've it? You've got that situation. Lose you know, a game to Romania. With those, with those players, we didn't lose it. We drew 1 1. Romania, did we? Yeah, I think we drew 1 0. We lost. We lost in no, two, we Euro two thousand. Yeah, you two yeah, that yeah. last minute penalty, Phil ah, Neville. You know, um, but yeah, um, it's all a drunken hairs to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but Barkley, uh, I think that's that's a, a difficult situation for everyone. That one because everyone will be clamouring for him to be in, and especially if England don't get off to a good start against Italy, which is it isn't unlikely. And I'm not being negative. I'm just saying Italy are a very good team, and that's going to be tough. So if, if Barkley doesn't play, and then we get, we lose that game, the pressure's on Hodgson then to chuck these young lads in like Barkley and that's a difficult mm. situation to manage especially at the World Cup when you've got three games that you've got to get results in and everyone's the media are on your back um, that, that's immense pressure um, and I think that has to be these p- players need to be treated with kid gloves a bit I think people just got to be careful because as we say use Beckham as an example yeah. he went from hero in the last group game to zero to go on zero. Say it, yes. well, well, to like villain it. in there I like it in, in in the in the Simeone, in everyone's best mate Simeone now. Isn't yeah, it? you you probably remember Pep Guardiola said, you know, of Wilshire, we've got a lot of players like him in Barcelona yeah. B, and it now sounds quite prophetic in that sense because mm-hmm. he he hasn't kicked on as he was supposed to, and I think Scholes was was very right in saying what he said. I think it was seen as an insult at the time, but I didn't take it that. I took it more as him saying, look, there's talent there, there's potential, mm-hmm. but it has to be realised, and I think. Like, like Jack Cole back at Sunderland on a larger scale, if you like. <laughs> Just to keep with Sunderland relevant. Yeah. If only we had a lot of how players like for, Wilshire How about that for Shoehorner? How about yeah. that for Sunderland Shoehorn? The two talking points in the starting lineup tonight, uh, obviously Miller and Rooney. We'll come to Rooney first. I think what's, what's interesting, Kristen, is the national media have gone to town on this. Oh, Rooney's on the left wing and <laughs> sort of gone overboard like they do when it comes to England and um, well, I, I, I on the on the Guardian article, it's it pitched it as Rooney selected in unfavoured mm-hmm. left midfield position, well, so it's already See, negative. Midfield, twist on yeah, it. well, it's just what, what I find interesting is if if Manchester United played four two three one in the game and Rooney played anywhere across those three behind the centre forward, I don't think people would question it because he's a player who, when he plays up front, mm-hmm. people come out and say he isn't a target man; he can't play up front. So, you know. We suddenly we, we're going from one extreme to the other we're saying oh he can play anywhere to he shouldn't be playing there he can't play there but it's more like a it's, it's not a left winger is it I mean we've seen a Fabio Barini at, mm. at Sunderland play on a front three and it's slightly different mm-hmm. but we don't class that as a left winger he's coming inside with a ball no I think the wing position has diversified itself you look at you know, say football manager is an example. There's four different categories now. You can play a winger as I can see you laughing already, guys. I've never, been, I don't, I've never, I don't been, play on that, I've never been on that game for a few years it, now. It, it so essentially, it's, it's, it's diversified as a position in terms of it's not just a player who gets his 
you know, chalk on his boots and gets to the byline. There's a lot of different. I mean, Ricardo Quaresma famously used to cut inside yeah. and play as an inside forward. Oh, yeah, my, my uh, what do you call that pass that he used to do? The Travella. The Travella. There you go. <laughs> There's Hidden. a video on YouTube that teaches you how to do it. Yeah. Um, so it's not like Championship Manager where when you had a winger you just did the pointy lineup. No, it's far more. <laughs> it's, it's far more, more than it's that. More now, involved now. You. Okay. Um, you can put curves on it and stuff. Oh but I, th- I, th- I think Rooney's had that problem most of his career at Manchester United. He he hasn't really defined himself in one position. There's been times he's that number nine. That season he got a you know a number of goals mm-hmm. in that position. Yeah. Sometimes he likes to come deeper. Sometimes he'll come really deep to the centre circle for England. Equally, I've seen him out wide for Manchester United. I think he's a player that that's looking for structure almost and is looking for a manager to say, this is your position, this is where I want you. And unfortunately, England haven't been able to give him that. And that's because they, they don't have a huge amount of, of time to, to spend with mm. these players. And also, Gareth, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm not the biggest Roy Hodgson fan, but again, you think when it comes to England, it's almost like they can't win. I mean, if Hodgson decided he's seen something in training or he saw something in training and he wants to try Rooney in this position, he's got a couple of friendly games to do it. If he didn't do that and Rooney didn't perform up front, people would be saying, why didn't they try him in one of the roles floating about behind the centre-forward? Why didn't Roy Hodgson have a look at that? I think um, when, I, when I've seen... so I'd have to say Wayne Rooney is one of the best players I've seen at, at Sunderland um, in, the, in the time of being gone. Um, his vision is unbelievable. Um, he takes up great positions. He's always looking to take responsibility. It's tough to play for. Everyone knows it's like you say. You can't win. England is like mm. you know the the famous documentary. Which if you're looking for documentaries to watch before the World Cup, you should definitely get it on there because you'll be able to find it on YouTube. The Impossible Job. Yeah, and it is the Impossible Job. Um, Hodgson, like you say, not a big fan, but it doesn't matter who it is. I think the only person who would have got leeway is probably Harry. Mm-hmm. But that's about it. Um, and, and Rooney, you know, he's fallen victim to that. A lot of excellent players struggle, and um, I'd, I'd, I don't have a problem actually with playing Rooney in midfield because I probably put play him not, where Barkley. I would probably where I in, in I would probably play him where where Barkley's playing tonight. To be honest, because of his vision um, and, and the, his, the, his quality on the ball. Um, and it, you've got to get him into the game more. I don't think he gets into the game enough for England when he plays up front. In in, in any capacity, even in a two, he's got it. I think he's better coming from deep because his his peripheral vision is so good. Um, you know the way he uses the ball, and I'd like I'd like to see Rooney given more responsibility in a more, in a deeper central role because he's our best player. I don't think there's any doubt that he's England's best player. Is a is a as an individual as yeah. an individual footballer, he is brilliant, um, but it's really difficult. I just think it's really difficult to play for England. Will we see any sort of interchanging with those three behind Lambert, or am I just dreaming here? <laughs> no, I think I think certainly you could see a, a flexibility amongst them because equally Barkley can can play there. Uh, Oxley Chamberlain is able to do the same. I think that it has to have that degree of flexibility. You know, we looked at Liverpool, they had that much this season and it's for that reason I'd quite like to see, you know, Raheem Sterling maybe involved a little bit more. Raheem Sterling's one of those Gareth who... He might have thought you know, he'd well, got well, a goal well, tonight. Well, people talk about form going into the World Cup and the winter break and all that stuff and England do have some players who, who are coming into this World Cup of good form. Sterling wasn't involved loads before Christmas and... He's coming the back off a, of a good World Cup. Like you say, it would have been interesting. I, I, I guess a lot of the people are arguing here about Rooney playing that position. Why wouldn't you give Sterling a wide player like that a go? Well, I, I'm, I am surprised that Sterling isn't playing tonight, actually. Um, I think he's better than Oxlade-Chamberlain. But it might be a case he just wants to have a look at Oxlade-Chamberlain because he knows what Sterling... Mm. He knows what he's going to get from him. Because he he's in form, he maybe feels that he's in with a, a shout. of. There's probably only, what, 13 or 14 players... In with a shout of starting that first game. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and obviously that only leaves twelve or eleven or twelve, uh, thirteen outfield players because obviously Hart's going to get picked in goal. So I think the, the the ones up for debate obviously it's Welbeck. You know Sturridge has got that that front one nailed down, and then you've got the deep line midfielder that could who who's that going to be? Um, and it, that's that's the Jets probably Gerard's it, really. role this season, isn't it? Yeah, but who's he going to play? Like you say, who who's going to play in there? I think that's for grabs. The second exactly, one, exactly. So yeah, the two exactly. you've got for grabs are probably the wide left forward um, and and uh, the the deep line midfielder. 
Hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, Welbeck is is the, the the one that might drop out, and I think you know if he does, maybe he'd be tempted to play Rooney in the middle. And I, I, I don't know. I just think with an intelligent player like Lambert or Rooney, you need as much pace and movement around them. Just like what you said with Henderson before, you need as much yeah. just to make them more useful to give them more options to use the ball because they're not going to be as much use without it as they are with it and somebody like Adam Lallana then should he play tonight because he plays he plays behind Lambert week in week out so I, I, I love Lallana I think he's, he's brilliant I would be inclined to say yeah he, he certainly should be in there arguably even starting it's just, it's just whether you want to break the pre-established idea that Lampard has to play and these players that maybe we've come to know over the years should start over more uh, new to the four gentlemen just quickly before we finish up, can anybody offer any insight to what we're going to see from James Miller at right back tonight? Well, <laughs> he likes picking Miller, doesn't he? It doesn't matter where yeah, he can shoe on him into the side. He does it, doesn't he? He's a bit of a, he's a decent player, but does it epitomise? Does it epitomise England's problems at the back because we're very limited in defence, aren't we? Yes, I th- I think it was was Gazette del Sport said that. Um, he was swimming laps while a water polo match went on around him about the game against Italy <laughs> and I think that's probably a good good analogy of, of what you'll get from him OK thanks for listening we'll be back next week where we will have more features as we've said and hopefully a new sign to talk about thanks for listening over and out Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.